0: This morning, I'm still talking about, you know, you know, impossible goals, impossible things, and the Christmas story is the perfect and possible event. Now, I don't know if you've ever heard a really, uh, 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 a good comedian, when they start talking about the Christmas story, they really tear it up, don't they? Because of the virgin birth, because of, uh, you know, the, the, the children being killed later on by Herod and stuff like that. And, and sometimes we get a little bit tense, or a little bit offended when a comedian or an atheist or somebody who doesn't believe wants to, to make fun of it. Even if they're not mocking the story, they're pointing out all the impossibilities of the story. And we, as Christians, need to be really okay with the impossibility of the story. That's where faith comes in. If it was possible, now if this happened 150 years ago, we would be suspect of it, right? Right? We'd be like, whoa! If if somebody came and told us, if a 13-year-old daughter came and told us, hey, you know, I found out I'm pregnant and it's imm- immaculate and I haven't been with a man before, we would think that's nuts. We would say that's impossible. Okay. When, 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 when we would look and say that, that this person here can be totally strung out on drugs with no hope and no future and just a horrible past, and one encounter with Jesus could change everything, that's an impossibility. And we've, we've talked the last few weeks that they're impossibilities until they're not. Everything that you're experiencing as far as lights, as far as air conditioning and heating in your car and all the technology at one point was impossible People were mocked to think that certain things could happen. Like, and we, we, we would know the earth is flat, all that sort of stuff. But just recently I uh, was reading that when the steamship came along, scientists said we can't make a steamship that goes faster than 30 miles an hour because it will, it will totally tear apart the insides of humans. Because that's too fast. No human can ever go more than 30 miles an hour. And if they do, they're just going to basically, they're going to boil their insides. Because it, it had, all these things are impossible. So what I want us to think about, though, is not the possibilities that we would like to see alone in the world. Or not the possibilities we'd like to see with society or with culture. But what about, what about the possibilities for your life? something that was, has always been impossible the last five years or ten years, what would you dream of to be possible in 2020, in the, in the new year, and the new decade? What would that be? I mean, I want you to think about that. We're going to go into some more practical things as we come into January, but there are spiritual things that every once in a while rise up in you that you wish you could see, and you, th- you hear, that's impossible, and that's impossible is a good place to start when it is impossible, when you've never experienced it. But it, it doesn't end there. It's not the end part. When somebody says that's impossible, that doesn't, shouldn't stop you. Because that's all they can say is they can say that's impossible, but they can't stop you from pursuing the impossible. Maybe having a home of peace is an impossibility. You've never had one. Maybe having a, a full week or a full month of rest where you just feel rested, you just feel there's a purity and a comfort and a just something's gone over you that for 30 days you just feel like like your mind is clear and sharp. Maybe you've never had that long term. Maybe that's your impossible year. Maybe you've ne- maybe you've never like broken through into ministry into doing something in your life that you'd like to see happen. Maybe your marriage has never been at a point and and it ke- it just seems impossible for it to happen in a certain way. Those are all impossibilities that we can declare as possible, that we declare, that you and I get to declare. If we get to declare that somebody's forgiven, we get to declare that we can pursue impossible things and see them become possible, right? And now remember, there's a lot of byproducts of pursuing impossible things. If you've ever pursued, let's say you've prayed for years for somebody to get saved or to live for the Lord, right? Even if you don't see them get saved or live for the Lord, you still win. There's a byproduct in you when you pursue something because it begins to build a relationship with God. It begins to strengthen us. It's the young man when he goes to his master and he says, you know, what do you want me to do? And the the master's like, I want you to to go out and I want you to push against that, that rock. And this rock is just, you know, a massive stone. And so for every day, for months and months and months, he goes out there and he pushes against that large stone. And finally, at the end of the year, he's frustrated. He feels like he hasn't budged the rock at all. And he comes back to his master and he's complaining. And the master says, You know, we we know that the master says, I never asked you to move it. I asked you to push against it. We think there's some sort of guarantee that we're going to move the needle sometimes. But our job is to hope and to act upon that hope, is have faith and to act upon that hope. It's not faith for a little tiny thing. It's faith for a really, really big thing. It's, it's not faith that our kid gets off of drugs. It's, it's faith that our kid is so overwhelmed in a drug-like state by the Holy Spirit that his mind and her minds are blown. It's not a little thing. It's a bigger thing. But this young man, the master, then tells him to go look at yourself in the mirror. And the young man barely recognizes himself because he's tan, he's lost weight, he gained muscle, he's chiseled, he looks completely different. When we pursue... The things we've talked about the last few weeks, the impossible things of casting out demons, bringing the peace that passes understanding into any and every conversation we we go into, walking and anointing, praying for healing and seeing people get healed. When we do that, we begin to change. You and I begin to change. Even if we don't see people get healed, there's a byproduct of pursuing something impossible. All right? if it's get married have a better marriage if it's to lose weight or to or or to gain muscle if it's to if it's to have more money this year than you had the every ever, ever in your life it's those things then we relationally then begin to speak to our father who's really good who wants to give you things all right we forget that We have Jesus as the reason for the season, or keep Christ in Christmas. And really, what we want, we want people to say Merry Christmases instead of Happy Holidays. That's not keeping Christ in Christmas. Keeping Christ in Christmas is like going after the gifts, it's believing that you have gifts, believing that He wants to give you stuff. That stuff looks like anointing, it looks like favor, it looks like peace, and it looks like finances on the other end. It looks like the whole spectrum of the things that you're hoping for, that you want to bless the world with. But we get stuck on, oh, it's impossible. And what's impossible is only because we're thinking limited by a limited imagination. I don't know if you caught this, but... When, when uh, thinking about Cretia and prayer and a five-inch cyst, it's easy for us to imagine and get excited if Cretia got a world-renowned surgeon of five-inch cyst, right? And she's going to go to the world's best hospital, and we found out that it's all going to be paid for. We can totally imagine that she would be healed through a surgeon's hands, Correct but the kingdom is something beyond our imagination so what's beyond our imagination is of course that she never gets assist in the first place that favor and that blessing but there's beyond our imagination once we're walking with some sickness once we're walking in a poverty once we're walking in a in a lack once we're walking with disease then the beyond the imagination yes we want doctors, and we want to work on our health by exercising those things. All of that's true, but there's a beyond our imagination that our part in the kingdom is to lay hands on and to believe. To believe what? Believe beyond what we've ever known before, and that is for that cyst to be taken care of. And what we did find out, it was really, we had a great, we had a great, like, 28-year-old doctor with, she had the best bedside manner ever uh, she said what they do is they they go in to that cyst. Close your ears at this, if, you're, if you get weirded out by this stuff. What they do. Now, I didn't know this. So my imagination, I, didn't, I just assume they do a big, big cut and they pull that cyst out, right? They go in with a little tiny cut and they basically wrap that cyst. They wrap it and they tie it into like a bag. And then they crunch that whole thing up. And that bag, they can, they can pull that bag out of, out of a little tiny slit. They just pull that bag out because as it's, as it's, all, all, it's got some bones and some teeth and some stuff in that bag because it's, it's, a, it's a weird system. I forget the name of it. Now, now I can imagine that's how it's done, right, because I've been told. But before I couldn't imagine, I had one, one thing I was imagining. Now a doc a surgeon told me how something's going to be done, and we're like, huh. I can imagine that being done and that, that clearing up the cyst. But then there's a beyond that we can imagine that the Scripture tells us about that there's miraculous healing available for us, okay? And that's what we ask for. That's what we talk to God about. We talk to God about that whether, whether it's at the level of the person's not saved we want, we want miraculous intervention there. If the person is, is saved but acting foolishly and not walking in good principled wisdom, we ask for wisdom, right? We can ask for supernatural wisdom. We can say, God, obviously I've never been good at relationships. I've been really crummy at it. Help me with them. Yeah, it, it it actually I don't know how you can it's never turned off in the inside. Okay. So so where was I now? Oh, so I've never been good at relationships. We can like like and what we do is then we project how twenty twenty is gonna be based on our poverty of relationships or our poverty of finances. We base our even our dreaming about uh, uh, about this coming year, this coming decade. So what we basically get, we get what we got last year and maybe 2% more. God's not a God who just wants to give you 2% more. He's not a God that wants you to live uh, 2019 and have 2020 be the exact same year. Alright, now if that doesn't work, then there's something wrong with this. Okay, so and in the in the Christmas story, it's a story of impossibilities. And and we should be, I don't want to say we should be, we are created to be asking for impossible things. We're created like like a four year old kid that every year says, I want a pony. Like a thirteen year old kid that every year says this is the kind of car I want when I turn 16. It's impossible things, right? But we get old and we get broken and we get diseased in our thinking and we're like, I'm not even going to ask because he's not given them to me before. I don't deserve them. I haven't done the right things to get those things. In order to have peace, I have to become this way. Instead of in order to have peace, I have to say, Father, I want peace. And then once we begin to receive that peace that we don't deserve, then we become the people who bring peace wherever we go. All right, so I'm going to read a quite a few, go, go over quite a few scriptures here. Now, the, now, now, one thing we, I, I spoke a little, just a little a bit out of Acts, uh, I'm sorry, Luke 2 there, out of the Christmas story. Think about this, the Christmas story came to the least likely suspects, a poor group of people, the Jews that were in captivity by Rome in their home country, and then by shepherds, who were the ruffians, the roughnecks, the oil workers out in the field that often even couldn't come to town. All right? And so when when we think about that, we have to think that the Christmas gifts and the impossible things are meant for us. They're meant for us as common people. There doesn't have to be anything special about how we are to ask for special gifts for big things for the rest of our life, for coming into the rest of our life. We don't have to have a great past. We don't have to have a great job. We don't have to have a great anything in order for us to be asking. We have to have have faith. We've got to believe. And as much as you're able or willing to believe the Christmas story... That God came down, hovered over a virgin, created a child with a with a uh, with a with the womb of a woman, and the seed of God. And that child was raised, and that child grew up in a space you can visit today, in a people group that still exists today, in a genetic in a in a genetic group that still exists today. We believe that, and then he died on the cross for our sins, and we're completely, absolutely forgiven. But all of his benefits are forgiveness of all of our sins and physical healing. It's the whole breadth of the whole thing of the impossibility of the cross. So if we're going to believe in the Christmas story, let's go ahead and go all the way and believe in the possibilities of the prophetic gift of the gift of healing, of the gift of casting out demons, of the gift of tongues. Just ask for all of it, the entire Christmas story, to be made available all of this next year. That's praying for impossibilities. Now, we often think that the Christmas story, that the impossibilities are going to be that they're reserved for a select few people. But we even see in Acts, after Jesus is, you know, he's raised, he becomes Jesus the Christ, he dies, he's resurrected, he ascends into heaven, he comes down to the Holy Spirit. Even in the book of Acts, we see people that aren't apostles... We see Stephen, who's, who's really has just been, they gambled to find out who would be, who would be some of their replacements of who would serve the widow's bread in Acts 6, and he becomes a, he becomes a deacon, not an apostle, not, and it says that he preaches and teaches with such power of the Holy Spirit with signs and demonstrations. He was so powerful in speaking, in fact, that they crus they didn't crucify him, they martyred him, they stoned him to death. It's not limited to, it wasn't limited to the religious experts of Jesus' day when he was born. In fact, it was, it was actually taken out of that realm. It's not limited to the apostolic or those who have titles or those who are in ministry. It's all of us. All of us can be like Stephen, and it says in Acts 6.8, A man full of God's grace and power performed great wonders and signs among the people. I think you ought to be asking to see more signs next year and more wonders next year not because you go travel somewhere to see a guy speak which I think is awesome I think we should be taking more advantage of people that there's a favor and anointing in their preaching and their teaching when it comes to the things of the supernatural we look through all we look through all of these things and we we often dismiss our part. I think one thing that we've got really wrong with prayer, now I just used this, this example of this, the cash apps, okay, where we can all be praying, we can all be giving money, and one person can be the beneficiary of, of the money that we give, and when we pray, it's the body of Christ coming together. Yet, there's something about each of us taking responsibility for our prayer for ourselves and acting upon it sending a check with a blessing in it, laying on of hands, texting that person every day for a season. There's something that we eliminate off on our part. We even have language that says it wasn't me, it was Jesus. But you can't read Scripture very long without it saying that Paul and Bar- Barnabas were, Performed miracles. It doesn't say Paul and Barnabas perform uh, that, that the Holy Spirit performed miracles and Paul, Paul and Barnabas were there. Paul and Barnabas are conduits. You and I are conduits that we actually, and I hate to use this word because it's so new agey, but we channel the things of the kingdom of heaven. We're the styrofoam cups. We're the hoses of life. And we're meant to come into a situation that feels horrible and wicked, and when we come in, heaven's right there with us or before us. When we enter in, that's an impossibility. But you know what? We would totally believe that if somebody was insane, if somebody was demon-possessed, and they were coming to a room, and you can feel darkness, right? We totally believe in the power of Satan to do his work through people, but we don't believe very hard in the power of God to work through his children. Wherever we are, we're praying for people, but we're not praying from a distance. We're not like, well, I prayed and they didn't get healed. We're contending for healing. And that's the pushing against that rock. Now I come in this morning. Oh, let me not miss this part. If, if we dismiss our part, Mary could have dismissed her part. What was Mary? Mary biologically was an incubator for the king of kings and the Lord of lords. She could have dismissed her part. Joseph, who had no part in impregnating his soon-to-be wife, could have dismissed his part. We have to embrace our part. This is my part in the body. This is my part in the kingdom. And it's false humility for us to say it's all about him. Because he's saying it is all about you, me in you and through you. God is constantly giving us the place to say what will happen and to dream with him constantly. Now this is what most of our preaching most of our uh talking about Jesus looks like we preach a lot about water. You say we went to a village and they don 't know what a water pump is they have They have crummy swamps or they have a couple hours at the walk to get clear, clean water that to boil their water they 're constantly getting sick and diseased because of their water. We come in and we start sharing the benefits of water. We talk about water. We talk about what a water well looks like. We talk about the benefits of water. And all we do is we talk about it. We talk about that you get it. We talk about that we have it. We talk about that we've benefited from water. And then we leave that village and we've never offered them a chance to taste real water, clean water. We've never offered to put in a water well in their village that will transform them as a people that will keep their kids from dying, that will keep them from getting sick and disease. That's how we are when we go in and we talk about Jesus and we argue doctrine, we talk about theology, and we argue about keeping Christ in Christmas in a political sense, yet in our very own lives, we've taken Christ, the anointed one, out of our day and out of our realm of possibilities. So, how cruel would it be to talk to people about clean water, yet give them no clean water when you walk and when you went home, you had you had Pallet after pallet in your garage and in your house, throughout your home, you had tons of bottled water. And every time you went out, you would take a few sips, but you took none for anybody out around you. We have a part in the impossible things that God wants to do. Look at your neighbor and say, You have a part in impossible things. You guys. We all are bringers of the water of the kingdom of heaven. You're it. You know what? You're it on Facebook. You're it in all your in all your conversations. You're it at it, your all your functions you go to. Every 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 problem you have, you have opportunity to bring yourself water. Every opportunity, every, every, every bad thing that's in front of you, you have opportunity to bring healing to that. Even if it's your own problem that you brought on yourself, that it's your sin that is causing things, you have an opportunity to call upon and to bring forth the living water that's inside of you. We're temples of the Holy Spirit. We do believe in laying on of hands. We do believe in impartation. You know, And BJ did a great job of calling impartation, rising up what's already in us. We have that part. We are those people There's nobody else that that are those people. And there's especially nobody else in your neighborhood, in your town, in your world, your realm of your 50 people. You're the ones to bring that. You're the ones to bring that water, that light, that life. And when we diminish, when we diminish those things... In us, because of our own sin, God does not diminish them because of our sin. God does not diminish our anointing because of our past. God does not diminish our anointing or take away our anointing because of our lack of courage. God doesn't, God, God's not counting that it's been 5,872 times that you didn't act in faith, that you acted cowardly. He's just saying, I know it's going to be this time. And he's given us the exact same chance every day, every morning. We are crucial pieces. We are crucial pieces in what God wants to do here on earth. Tap yourself on the chest and say, I'm a crucial piece of what God wants to do. And I'm telling you, most of us in our mind think, but I have to get better. I have to do more. It's not true. You don't have to do more. You just start believing. Just start believing. He's a good father. He gives me good things. His gifts are irrevocable. He gives them to me. I'm going to operate in them today. I blew it yesterday. I'm going to operate in them again today. I'm going to wake up as mercies are new every morning. I I, I was horrible to my boss or to my employees yesterday, but today I'm going to be a brilliant boss. I'm going to be a brilliant employee. I didn't have any patience all this last month, but this month I'm going to rock patience. And it's a constant childlike faith that God is doing something in and through you. I mean, we really have to see that. It is a childlike faith. What, what does a child do? I'm sorry. And then they go on about their merry way, right? And what do you do as a parent of a two or three-year-old? You clean up their mess. You buy them new clothes. You you, you 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 glue the vase you love back together. Or you go find a new vase to replace it, right? You walk in complete forgiveness. And the child doesn't even quite comprehend all that you're cleaning up after them. But they just say, I'm sorry, And then they go all about their merry way. That's more and more how we have to be as we receive the Father's love. I'm going to to end here on these two scriptures, Isaiah 53, 5, and then Psalm 103, which I read. Now, first, I'm pretty proud of you uh, for the last... Few months. Every time we say, "Just pray for somebody," you guys get up and go lay hand, hands on people. That's a really foolish act, in the very best of ways, right? Because the foolish things of man, the, fool, the, the 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 things of God appear to be foolish. They confound the wise of the world. We're called to do simple, foolish things like what? Like reach out and pray for someone that they will be healed. Do we pray ten times? Do we pray a hundred times? Do we pray a thousand times? How many times do we pray for a demon to be left gone from somebody? How long do we pray for us to rise out of our poverty of relationship or our poverty that we're low wage earners and we're supposed to be higher wage earners? How long do we pray for a spouse? How long do we pray for our kids to be serving the Lord? How many times do we pray? Do we pray once or a thousand times? If it comes with our kids, we'd say we never stop praying, right? But if it comes to healing, we pray a thousand times that somebody would be free from depression. We lay hands on them a thousand times. But I'm telling you, we need to do it a thousand more times. That's belief. That's pushing against that rock. And we're, we're, But we're not meant to do it as drudgery. We're meant to do it as children. Shoulder be healed. Knee be healed in Jesus' name. Debbie Gary's is back to be healed in Jesus' name. She had her surgery to be healed completely. A spring in her step, so it's like she's 22 again. That sort of impossible prayer. Not satisfied with what surgery alone can do, although we're delighted with surgery. Not satisfied what uh, an herbal remedy will do for you. Not satisfied what an anti-anxiety medicine will do for you. I'm not against any of those things, but the impossible dream, the impossibility that we're going after is clarity in our minds. Anxiety that's not crippling. Now, you can imagine little tiny anti-anxiety pill, we can imagine that taking that pill will make me feel less anxious, right? I mean, we have hundreds of millions of people in the world taking little pills. They're taking a pill, believing that their anxiety will go away. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. There's chemicals, there's biology. At the same time, this is the deal. We are believers, we don't believe. We, I mean, we believe in dark. We believe in all that. But, but our belief is in the unseen. There's an unseen thing that you can do. There's an unseen thing that you tap into that will have zero side, negative side effects, and your anxiety will be gone. It, 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 it won't. It, I'm telling you. So we need to. We need to be focusing on those things. Talking less about I'm anti. An, I'm anti. Anti anxiety pills, and more about I'm for him. You know, I'm, I'm totally. I hate chemo because what it does, but I love chemo because what it does, right? But the thing is, it's not an argument for or against chemo. It's just talking more and more about him and the possible things that we say happen when we declare His kingdom come, His will be done. That's what, that's what we want to. That's that's who we want to be. So Isaiah fifty three five but he was pierced for our transgression, he was crushed for our iniquities. We We know these things. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him, and by his wounds we are healed. We have other language around that, that we're saved, or we have eternal life, and we have healing. Now, if two men came up here today, and one said, I want to be saved, I want eternal life, A hundred percent of the Christians today would go, he can have eternal life, right? That's a guarantee because that's what Jesus brought. But if we had a man that came up and said, I am tormented by demons, we'd be like, I don't, I don't know. I don't, I don't know if that's possible. I don't know if it's God's will. I don't know if we still have that ability to do that. I don't even know if demons are real. So we had, the same, we had two, two different men. One comes up for salvation. We would say, oh, and, he, and he's been horrible, and we know about him. We would be in tears. We'd be so excited that he's going to have an experience with the Lord and Savior that's going to radically change his life, right? I remember the first time I cried when I found out a, a guy, not even a good friend, I was like 14, that his mom got saved. I knew what it meant for my mom to be saved and how much she had gone through and what had changed in her life that benefited me that my older siblings didn't quite get the benefit of. As she matured into some things, I cried. I knew something was going to happen. All right. But then if somebody came up and said, man, I've, I've got cancer, we'd be like, oh, man, I don't know. Have you seen a good doctor? Are you eating your fruit and vegetables? Are you eating organic? Are you taking this and don't take that? We would start giving them advice. We wouldn't be so excited about what the Lord could do in his life because we've been snookered into believing that salvation is eternal life, but not freedom from demons. Salvation is eternal life, but not physical healing. And I don't know how it works. I don't know how it comes to where where we see more physical healing, but I do know it's us if we want it. It's me and you. It's me and you. It's us practicing right here. It's us laying hands on a shoulder and praying, and we see something, and we're like, I, th- I, th- I think the Lord is saying this and showing me about this about your future. It's the simple little things. You know, when, when last time Jim Beckton was here, Herman gave a word to the lady sitting right here, and it was a very uh, pointed word, but made zero sense outside of the context of her. I don't, know if you, I don't remember exactly what it was, but it didn't make any sense. It wasn't like there was any, like, details other than there's this shape and this and that, and there's a corner and there's four areas, and, and it was almost geometric. But what happens is, is those are gifts that we would never give if we had to make sense of them. They're impossible. It's impossible. Herman had four C's from my mom and dad last time when they were here. Impossible. My, my, my dad, my stepdad, I don't I don't even know what he thinks. I know he's he's been saved but not very long, but he's never been a part of charismatic or spirit-filled stuff. He's thanked me after church. And then then they they it gave them this brilliant conversation, this connection, the Lord added to the C. They added one C. Herman gave them four, no, it was four B's. Herman gave them a fifth B. They were so excited. My mom, Herman, asked her to record it. My mom was so excited she forgot to push record to hear the word, but she jotted it all down. The thing is, that's impossible. The gifts we have to give are impossible, and they make things possible. You and I have those gifts. As sure as, and I want you to hear this, as sure as we are saved, as sure as we can lead something to the Lord, we can look at somebody and say, you are forgiven, And it's not just you're forgiven so they feel good about themselves. It's you're forgiven so, boom, something's imparted. When Jesus looks at the woman caught in adultery and he says, go and sin no more, I don't think think he's giving her a direction. I don't think Jesus is saying, here, don't go sin, go be a good girl. I think he's saying, here's the power that you just had an experience that you'll never, ever need to go commit adultery again because you just had an experience with a true lover. That's the depth and the power of the things that we say to people and around people. So the power that's working within us says in Ephesians 3:20 Now to him that is able to exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that works in us. There is power working in you. There's power working in you. What we listen to a lot is the power of the grave of the dead man of our neural pathways, of our old self, Paul Paul called the the I'm sorry, Paul called it the old dead flesh. We hear a lot, oh you shouldn't be, the Lord that God would be unhappy with you. God's not unhappy with you. In fact, whenever whenever we're doing things that aren't like who we truly are as a new creation, he's like he I don't even think he can see that dead person operating. When he sees me operate in anger or bitterness or fear, I don't think he's going. Oh, I can't believe Les doesn't get it. Oh my gosh, what he's going is, man, all he can see is one of the parts I am getting because he's looking at me different than you guys would ever see me in my sin, isn't he? He's looking at me completely different than he's looking at you guys are looking at me. If you, if you, if you, if you, not that I do this, but. If I was getting mad and punching people and cursing and acting the idiot, you'd be like, whoa, and you would think thoughts about me. I don't think God does that. All he, all he is thinking is I'm a new creation, and he loves it when I walk in my new creation Just go ahead and stand, and I'm going to close right there, and I'm going to pray that prayer that we would ask for 2020 for what is exceedingly, abundantly all that we could think or ask, what's beyond your imagination to imagine? What's beyond your imagination to imagine? There used to be where the only boat you had was a, was a dugout piece of wood, a canoe or a kayak, a boat, and then they got a little bit larger with rafts, then they got boats bigger, and they put a coal engine on it, They made a steam engine, they made a paddle wheel, they made things for rivers, and they made them they could go across the ocean. All all of them impossible until it happened. And then everybody cautioned them, hey, 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 don't get over 30 miles an hour, man. You're going to kill everybody on board. Because it was impossible to even imagine something that could go faster than 30 miles an hour. I barely drive under 30 miles an hour every day I get in my car and I don't even get on the freeway. I, I, I get up to 45 as soon as I can every time I leave a light. It's just I don't know why. It's just the way I drive. And, and, but we, we have these things for us. What's beyond what you could ever think about for yourself, for your health, for your finances, for your ministry, for how you are as a person and how you show up? And then get excited about it. Don't think, oh, now I'm going to have to do a lot of work. Oh, I have to get a lot of things right. We'll talk some more about that in the weeks to come in January. So just hold your hand or or touch somebody next to you.